Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh. I'm Richard Wilmore, your host of Arts for the Health of It. And I'm Constanza Roeder, you're also your host. And we had the immense pleasure of talking with one of my friends, Diane Masood, and she is the founder of um, the Arts and Health Program at Cure for the Kids, which provides arts and health services for pediatric cancer patients, which is, of course, very near and dear to my heart because I'm a pediatric leukemia survivor uh, and the arts were incredibly important for me. And we haven't really talked to someone specifically about engaging pediatric cancer patients in the arts and what that's like. So this kind of gives you a little inside taste of it because there's a lot of data around the impact of the arts on this population, everything from reducing anxiety, depression, pain levels, and just overall improving quality of life for patients. Something else that came up kind of at the end after we stopped recording was um, not just the impact on on patients, but the impact on their caregivers, that these programs are just as important for the parents that are witnessing their little ones going through treatment. She shares a story about um, her her musicians playing for really, really young babies and their families, and also the impact on healthcare staff, that that presence of the arts program helps really to ease the burden of care that the healthcare staff have to experience, have to manage. Um, so just really, really interesting and really important work. And it's very, I don't know, it's very scary to think that like, as a, I can't imagine like what you went through as a child to go into a hospital <laughs> with nothing to like distract me. And you're there for oh. one thing. Like I had a surgery when I was very small and I remember distinct parts of it, but it was not something that I was in the hospital for, for very long so I never really needed that, but like, had that been around to distract me from what was happening, how much Would better. Been nice. That, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> Diane has been a professional artist in Las Vegas for over 25 years. For the last 14 years, she has focused her time and energy in the area of arts and medicine. As the director of Project Imagine, Cure for the Kids Foundation's exclusive arts and medicine program, she feels passionate about educating her community on the importance of creative experiences in a healthcare setting. And that's exactly what we talked about today. So mm-hmm. we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with Diane after this. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store 
organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Minty Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Hi, Diane. Hi, Richard. It's so wonderful to meet you. It's great to meet you virtually. Diane, uh, we have lots to talk about today, and you're our first person to talk about pediatric care and the arts, and so we're very happy that you're here today. Well, it is definitely my pleasure, and I love um, your program and your podcast and your organization, so it's my honor to be here for sure. Well, it's all about us, obviously. <laughs> Tell us more about what you love about this podcast. Tell me more about it. <laughs> Tell everybody how amazing my backdrop is. Uh, Diane is a, a fellow member of the National Organization for Arts and Health, which we kind of we first met several years ago at a conference, um, and then we got to meet up again earlier this year when I was in Las Vegas, and her company is in Las Vegas, and so we got to meet, and I got to tour her facility, um, and we're we're excited to be like fellow. We call ourselves fellow unicorns. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's always wonderful to meet somebody like minded that that has been in the arts and medicine game for such a long time, and and the things that we share in common, and the things we struggle with are are a conversation that is such a pleasure to have with someone totally. else. You know? <laughs> well, you feel like you're doing this all alone for, and like, yeah, Anzi was doing this all alone for so long until I <laughs> ran into her at a theater I, one day. So, you know, I really, you know. I really believe that we all start out that way. Mm-hmm. And as you, you know, as a professional artist myself and live, you know, been living in Las Vegas for 30 years, you know, it's, it is like a reading a story. It's each chapter, each year brings on new relationships, new connections, um, uh, conversations with people in your community. And, and that's how I definitely have arrived here at Cure for the Kids is, is through all of those experiences and connections. So can you talk a little bit more about how you came to do this work in arts and health and kind of the founding of Project Imagine? Yeah, um, it started, oh goodness, I think 14 years ago, um, I lost a little friend of mine um, named Tamara to childhood cancer, and she was nine years old. And um, my boys and I spent many a days while she was in the hospital. Um, as most people know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you know, there's some long-term um stays in the hospital. And so as an artist, I used to come in and do art with her. And after she had passed away, it took me about a year to kind of collect myself. It was the first person I had ever lost that I'd loved. And um, it had a profound impact on my life and my career, frankly. I mean, this many years um, later, and I still feel just as passionate as I did as the day I started this. So it's really, the program started in her honor and um, we were Project Imagine was the name of the program, and we were our own nonprofit organization here in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, the only comprehensive arts and medicine program um, here. 
in our beautiful state. And um, about a year ago, I decided to merge the organization with somebody that we had worked with side by side for many years. And it is an outstanding organization called Cure the Kids Foundation. And we merged our two organizations and they are, um, you know, we are the only pediatric childhood cancer treatment center in Nevada. So there is some incredible, important work that's done here. You couldn't meet a more dedicated staff, CEO, you know, everyone that is involved um, this intimately with, uh, with um, you know, childhood cancer. You know, there, there are heroes among us, ladies and gentlemen, and there are so many in this building. So it was an honor to merge with them. And, and, and as far as the arts and medicine program and Project Imagine is concerned, it gave us an opportunity to have resources that wasn't available to me before. You know, we were talking about starting things on your own. You know, I had a wonderful board of directors that supported. We did amazing fundraisers and volunteers. But coming to Cure for the Kids, they have, you know, a, a, an extraordinary, you know, philanthropy department, a social media department. There is, an, you know, there, there is just so many people that make what we do here every day happen. And I always say nobody, you know, achieves anything great on their own. It takes a village. And, and this is definitely something that, um, that I'm honored to be a part of and to continue this conversation and, and push the narrative like yourselves, you know, of how incredibly important, you know, arts and medicine is in a healthcare setting and with children, you know, all people, but, you know, because we're here and taking care of our little people, that's, it's incredibly important. So. And how long ago did you say this was like when it first began? Um, Project Imagine started probably about 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, so I've always, um, I'm a professional artist here in town, so I've always done both. And um, now I focus, you know, 99% of my time on, on Cure for the Kids, Project Imagine. And at the beginning, as we just spoke recently, it's, um, you know, each page of your book and your story um, brings you to a different place. So. Mm. Why do you Go think ahead. it's the? Why do you think it's still the only one in Nevada? Um, I Richard always wants to know the answer to this. You no, know, that's a really, you know, Richard. That's a really good question. I think one of the things that that um, you know, I can personally say that I've struggled with is having the conversation um, about can you know? I don't want to say convincing people. I kind of want to say convincing people that aren't creatives. Um, the importance and the impact that arts and medicine has in a healthcare setting. So I think that that story or that part of our business, um, for lack of a better word, is, is about informing your community and people who are in the arts here or are theater people, you know, they're very, you know, the powers of social media, they're very familiar with what arts and medicine is. And I think that, that, you know, you know, you know, having the funding to be able to continue to promote your program, um, you know, um, surrounding yourself with incredibly dedicated, um, you know, musicians and artists and theater people and, and keeping that together. And I, I, you know, I don't know, I was, you know, I was impacted in a way that, that I couldn't look away from, you know, I mm. lost a little person and I happened to be an artist professionally. So I really can't answer that question, Richard, but it's a good one. You know, I mean, 
I've always thought, you know, in my grander schemes, if you could wave a magic wand, I wanted to create something that could be duplicated everywhere all over the country. You only have to arrive, you know, one of the most important and, and powerful things you can do is bring a donor to a session, you know, mm -hmm. when it's appropriate. And there is no denying the impact that the arts have in a healthcare setting, regardless if you're a child or an adult, what happens is transformative. And, you know, going back to what Richard had asked is having the opportunity to tell that story to as many people as you can. I mean, there's not one dinner party I've ever went to that have, you know, <laughs> I know you both have, you know, feel as passionately as I do. And, and that's how you meet people. And, and it is this ripple effect that can happen. And, you know, I, I am definitely a testimony of positive things happening because I'm here with this great organization and mm -hmm. uh, we're able to continue to, you know, to grow and expand the program mm -hmm. and we grow and expand our programs so we can reach more children. We raise money in that, in that, in that same name and in that same purpose. It's like, that's what it takes to, in order to grow you know, the importance of philanthropy and then the importance mm -hmm. of people staying connected with the mission that you've set forth. So. So in that vein, can you talk a little bit in a little bit more detail about what you do with with patients in your organization and what impact do you see and like why why do pediatric hospitals need the arts? I, I think one of the most important things that we say is empowerment. You know, we want to empower the children. Um, children are told when you're when you're not well, right? You're told you're in a hospital or you're in our infusion suite. You know, you're being told what to do on a constant basis. Take this medicine. It's time for this, or you know, so you're you're denied a lot of your independence, and so. Our, our, you know, Project Imagine is totally based on empowering children by letting them make their choices. So we have a fabulous art cart. This is the visual arts part of the program, right? Mm -hmm. So we have an art cart that comes through, and it is not a product-based art program. It's an empowerment-based arts program. And by saying that, it's like you're able, would you like to draw? Would you like to paint? Would you like to sculpt? Would you like to create some poetry? You know, there's all kinds of different options that you let the child lead. And, and sometimes the best voice is a quiet one and just ask those questions and stop and listen. You know, and you can, you know, one of the, one of my favorite prompts as I call them, when you're working with someone that's a little hesitant, you know, a blank canvas is the most, you know, intimidating thing, whether you're a professional artist or you're a little person or a young adult. But I like to um, ask the question, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? You know, and, and, and they would mm. answer. And sometimes the one that breaks me hard is they want to go home. You know? <laughs> and well, and, and, but within that you say, well, what does home look like? You know, um, do you have a dog? What does he look like? And then I've got chills. When you still get chills after many years and you're talking about what you do for a living, you're in the right spot. I would like mm -hmm. to get that free advice. <laughs> but, um, you know, so empowering them, letting them make their own choices. And, mm -hmm. and I used to think, you know, I also attended the intensive in, in, at Chan's Hospital uh, in Florida. And I used to think when I arrived that it was about seven, eight years ago, that when a patient said no, that in some way I failed 
in mm. that interaction, that first interaction, right? And what I learned there, and it, I, I still use it to this day and know and understand it, that they were allowed to say no, you know? Mm -hmm. They were allowed to say no to me, and that's okay. So that was actually an empowering moment and, and mm -hmm. probably one of the most important things I learned when I, when I was there. That I, I to tell our artists as well not to get hung up on the word no and, you know. And I yeah. feel like that's every, like, we all go through that. I remember, yeah. like, going to Stansi when I first started going, what, why doesn't anybody like me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like and as, well, like, all that's three impossible. Of us here, that's right? impossible. <laughs> well, ask my husband. But still, the yeah. point is, uh, like, and all three of us here on this interview right now are all theater people. So we're all, like, yeah, like, we need that that Adelaide, like you know we need external that. Yeah. validation yeah, like i'm not okay if you're not happy with what i'm doing and right I mean, right and every artist or musician or anybody doing the work always goes through that i think of like what am i doing wrong and and yeah. the big thing to learn is like you're you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do yeah it is you know i'm a visual artist you two are performers so i but i call what we do performance art because you change your just like in a business meeting or anything else, you change your tone to your audience, right? So if I'm approaching a 16-year-old boy who's playing video games, what do I need to sound like for him to be intrigued to put the video game down and, and kind of hang out with me? So it's hang out with me. You know, if you're talking to a three-year-old, it's would you play with me? You know, you know, so changing. So I always call it, you know, there is a little bit of theater in there, you know, and uh, I always call it it's just like a theatrical artist, you know, uh, uh, mm. you know. So what is the age range that you that you work with? Because that's so, always confusing in hospital. Like what's young adult? Well, that's a right, huge right. Range. What's pediatric? So I think the other part of our programming is, you know, visual arts. We also have our resident musicians that visit the hospitals and um, that our hospital, our partner hospital, Summerlin Hospital, there's our friend Adam there. He's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And those are our beds, you know, bedside sessions. And uh, what was your question, Richard? Say that again. Great question. <laughs> that I, uh, Age range. Age range. So Adam was just, uh, I was communicating with him yesterday and he's playing for three and four month old mm. little babies in the, in the, in the oncology unit mm. and how incredibly powerful that is for obviously the, the child and the patient, but for the parents and the, and the people mm. and the adults in the room and the staff there and our staff here, you know, music is immediate, right? Um, visual arts, it takes a little bit of time for you and I to develop a relationship and trust, but music penetrates the soul immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's how incredibly important that part of the, our programming is as well. And so he's, so normally for me, visual arts, um, you know, from two to 18, you know, two to however, you know, whatever age, Usually it depends, you know, some, some of our, our, our children are, are delayed in their cognitive responses. You know, it is definitely a patient by patient basis, but we're always willing to try and, and see what that, what that moment in time can develop into and, and always expect the unexpected, you know, mm -hmm. you, you never know how profoundly, you know, that moment in time was to someone until they come to you years later and say, you know, 
I remember you or mm. you know, to our musicians or myself or our, our team here, you know, I remember you and what you brought. And it's, it only takes a moment and, and never that is so should be revered in, and, and its value. Mm. And, and, and saying that is, is, you know, saying that out loud and recognizing that mm. and, and seeing the powerful experiences. So you bring up a good point that I'd love for you maybe to talk a little bit more about, um, about the, uh, that having to adjust to different patients and different rooms mm-hmm. and different um, abilities. So what advice might you give to, to an artist that may have never walked onto a pediatric unit? Um, what would they need to know about it? If like in, in, in two yeah, minutes, no, what no, are all no, the things I, they need to know? But I, I think it's, tricks. it's a really <laughs> great question. And the way that, you know, I train our, our res- artists and residents in the hospital setting, it, 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 again, expect the unexpected. You could approach one door um, with a gentle knock. You come in and introduce yourself. And, and being somewhat intuitive and in recognizing your space and, again, your audience. And, you know, we're prepped ahead of time. You know, the child life specialists in the hospital setting are our dearest friends and source of information. Our nurse staff here at Cure for the Kids is our resource of information. So if you can get a little bit of information about your your, your patient before entering the room, it's incredibly important. If I say, if I could say anything, having that a little bit of information, you know, within HIPAA laws and of course your state and, and your, your circumstances. But, um, yeah, that would be, and, and I always, in the hospital setting, I stop for a moment and take a deep breath, clear my head, because sometimes you're walking into an end-of-life situation, a di- uh, new diagnosis is an incredibly fragile space to be, paying attention um, to your environment, paying attention to the mood of, of the room, and, 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 and speaking in, the, you know, what are the tones of people's voices? Hmm. What you can, you don't have to be an intuitive to understand what that space may look like. And, and in the clinic setting, you know, in our infusion suite, we have an extensive infusion suite. I walk through our suite and observe, you know, where people are at, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot in arts and medicine, meeting people where they're at, mm. knowing and understanding that, you know, I'm an extrovert, right? I, I, but I'm not always an extrovert when you're approaching these situations, right? Mm. So you're, you're being very observant. And that's, I, I would say that that would be a key um, element to success is mm. uh, just observing the space and knowing how you adjust, you're there for them, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it, there is no other way to describe it. You're in service to that moment. So mm. I tell patients all the time, I love no's as much as I love a yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I always that. say, Richard, I'm so cool. Next time I come back, you're going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to want to hang out with me. We're going to have so much fun, you know, you know, again, to your audience, but yeah. Yeah. I what, take it as a challenge too, in a weird way. <laughs> what type of, cause we were talking about like how you prepare to go into a room. What type of people are you finding that are attracted to this work, especially with that age is so, 
I, I have no words of like, yeah, if, I would, I, if know, I would be able to go and, and, and be a part of that. I think that would be maybe one of those things that I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for this. It's, this is, yeah. If I can say this also, never take any of this personally. Right. So I don't think that there's a particular type of person. It's about where they are perhaps in their treatment or perhaps in their, um, dynamic in their family relationship. So I, I don't really believe that there's a type, so many, you know, so many of these diagnoses, again, have these long hospital stays. Now think how incredibly important um, that our types of services are where you can break up the day a little bit, right? You can make people laugh. You can be silly at your own, you know, my own expense, you know, um, just to get a laugh out of someone because, you know, perhaps they haven't laughed in a week, you know, and there's not a lot to laugh about in those situations. And because we're not clinicians, we have such a wonderful liberty to be silly and be okay and, and make the nurses laugh or make the, you know, you know, the family members that are in that very fragile space, think about something else. You know, I talk about this all the time. You know, we all use our imaginations. Adults, you know, you imagine, you know, that's why it's called Project Imagine. You know, you imagine yourself, you daydream. You know, you're facilitating, what we're doing is facilitating a moment in time to escape your circumstances through your imagination. And that is real. You know, we can do it together with a visualization technique or when people meditate. It, it, is, it is in the same wavelength, I think, for lack of a better way to describe that. It is in the same um, conversation that you can say these sessions become, you know? Hmm. Yeah. That, oh, sorry, Richard. Go ahead. Oh, go. Oh, um, <laughs> there's, I know there's a lot of data out there. There's a growing body of research and data about the impact of these programs. What do you like? Is there data that you guys are able to collect or research that you know about? Like, because I know there's people listening who right. maybe are from more of a uh, science background or medicine background. And of course, if we're talking about arts being part of evidence-based practice, um, what evidence is there around arts in pediatric cancer? Um, we have, because we have just recently merged together, right, um, Cure for the Kids and Project Imagine. So we've just begun during COVID collecting data. So, so not <laughs> being able limited. to answer that question, you know, as, as accurately as I would like. Um, but there, I read every piece of material that I can get my hands on and that that information is everywhere. And one of the most important parts of um, my education, you know, Castaneda, it's like meeting people like you across the country that are doing the same thing. And what we do and how we collect data and what we're collecting and why we're collecting. Mm. You, know, um, you know, before we merged, Project Imagine could say, you know, we impacted a thousand children in our community. And that's, that's incredibly important. Those are a thousand experiences. And we're doing that now um, under the new rules and regulations. And just, we've just been recently allowed 
to enter the hospital space or the the infusion suite here at our clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so our data is 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 just starting to get, uh, you know, its rhythm back for lack, you know, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, yeah, I just I, what's interesting to me is is and, and and something I like to use. If you think of um, hydroglyphics, you know, if you can visualize an Egyptian hydroglyphic, you would see, you know, a harpist near someone who is passing to the other side. So arts and medicine, as I always say, is not anything not new. new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been around for for thousands of years. And and expressing ourselves is so incredibly important, um, not only during this time of, of of the pandemic, but as a way to relieve stress and uh, and and the impact is real. Mm. And <clears throat> you know, I'm not a scientist; I'm an artist. <laughs> what a great so opportunity! <laughs> yeah, well, what a great opportunity you have now that you've merged with a healthcare system that probably very motivated to start doing yeah. more, more data collection on the program. And um, that's exciting what that may bring to the field. All of those conversations are being had. I can, I can trust me. Yeah. You know. awesome. And there's only, you know, as we continue and as you continue with this amazing podcast, you know, it is telling the story and the importance of arts and healthcare, mm-hmm. arts and medicine, you know, all of our, our friends across the country and, and that are doing the same thing and, and feeling just as uh, passionate about it as we are. So totally. yeah. keep telling the story, you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole point of this entire thing, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure this list is really long, but what have you learned over the last 13 years? I mean, it's I feel like it's evolved so yeah. much and it's finally just starting to bubble up in like common uh, knowledge among people. So because I had I didn't even know what it was until three years ago when I met Stonzi. So yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's now starting to be where we're having people on here. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I was part of that community, and here I am. Right. So, I think the most important thing that I've learned is that um, I am grounded and grateful. Mm. Um, I live in a very, you know, very. It's a very fragile population of humans, um, and seeing the strength of the don't make me cry, you know, seeing the strength in the, and our Barbara Walters moment. Go. Yeah. Right. Seeing the strength and the endurance and the, and the hope and the, and the things that, that happen in our, in our, in our clinic and, you know, um, to these families, it's, it, I, I have to say it's inspiring and it is, it makes you grounded and, and your priority. If I could say anything, Richard is that my priorities are straight, had gotten straight a long time ago. And, you know, people seek um, their purpose in life, you know, sometimes their entire life. And I found mine 13 years ago, you know, Mm. and that hasn't changed to this day and it won't change 10 years from now. There will be some, you know, advocacy, you know, flag waving on, on something that I've felt so passionately about. So yeah, I would say that Mm. for sure. Well, as a pediatric leukemia survivor, I want to say wow. thank you for all that you do to bring joy to people that are going just through horrific time in their lives. It's such a, it's so needed and it's such a gift. So 
I, I I would say the same to you, my friend. You know, we're 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 lucky to have found each other, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And and you know, I'm always open for collaborations, and and hearing other people's story is a great education. So I'm for sure. I'm glad to to be here and and share my story with you guys. Well, I kind of want to ask that, like, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but for Stanzi, we have someone here who has kind of, you know, you've been able to witness and to experience what that's like to go as a pediatric cancer patient and have access to the arts. Like, you don't necessarily know what it's like to not have it, but how does it feel to know you did have it? How does it feel to know that I did have access to the arts? Yeah. Like, how do you think that it changed the way you experienced your entire journey? Are you interviewing me now, Richard? (laughs) What what happened here? I was like, I'm like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think this is relevant because I think anyone listening to this podcast that is interested in your organization, here here I am. Like, what what impact does this make? Um, As a... Well, I think anyone going through treat through something like cancer treatment, which can be so horrific, um, at any age, it can be hard to articulate the huge emotions that come with this type of diagnosis. Adults m- theoretically are more equipped to articulate it. <laughs> really in reality, generally not, but, um, but children, especially sometimes literally don't have words to describe what they're experiencing and the arts provide a language that is not dependent really on language development. Um, And so there was a lot of times, even though I was diagnosed um, as a young teenager, there were still like emotions that I'd never felt before, experienced before and was afraid of and was afraid to even admit what I was feeling. But like I've said this before on the podcast, a blank canvas doesn't care and doesn't judge me. And it's that safe container that can hold whatever I need it to hold. And so when, when, when you go in and work with a patient at the bedside, you may not know what actually comes out of them, I'm sure. Right. And it, you may start with one project and it ends somewhere else. Cause I know that was often my experience. Um, I didn't even know <laughs> what was in there. It needed, that right. needed expressing. Um, and again, just like the arts can, being treated in a pediatric hospital, even I was really surrounded by art and it was pretty and colorful and, um, wonderful because not all of those spaces look like that. No. Well, and I was treated at Lucille Packard children's hospital and now they have just like a completely new facility. That's just amazing. Um, it's so cool. Uh, but even then, even 20 years ago, uh, it, it was, there was some intentionality around like, Hey, we need to make this space welcoming for children. So it's less scary. So there's arts in the environment that are so, that are so important because we, because we know like research shows like when, when anxiety levels, when fear is high, when all of those stress hormones are, are going on in the body, um, our body is less able to repair and heal. 
So we need to create environments and bring things into the environment that humanize the environment. You know, I, I like to say that um, the arts humanize healthcare and because like the arts are a fundamental part of being human. And so they should be a fundamental part of the places that we treat humans. Like it just makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time, humanizing the healthcare experience. Yeah. And as you said, the arts is a perfect vehicle to do that. Colors make you feel things mm. you know, subconsciously. It's proven. And, and they capitalize that through marketing strategies, mm. actually. You know, mm -hmm. so there is scientific research that says this color and this color make you hungry, you know, or what have you. But, but this color and this color make you feel better make you feel calm, you know, so all of that research exists. And when you have the opportunity to, to put that in your environment, you know, what is what, what, you know, what is the worst thing about walking into a doctor's office? Sometimes it's, it's that it's white, all these white walls, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I've always suggested, you know, put music or throw some art up and our, all of our, our suites here, our exam rooms, by extraordinary mural artists here in Las Vegas, each of them have their own theme and, and it is a very joy filled place mm. and it is not sterile in any means. And, and that is in, except for like with, with like, you know, germs and things. Yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, my control people are pretty serious over here. They, yeah. they do an outstanding job for sure. <laughs> I have two final questions and then I don't know what Stanzi has, but um, I want to know, Diane, the last creative thing you did for yourself. Huh. That's a good one. Um, for myself, you know what? That's a really good question, Richard. You know, probably about two weeks ago, I'm, I'm writing a children's story. It's a, an elephant who has cancer. So I, I picked that up after laying it down probably four years ago. Mm. And, and Richard, you, you hit something right on the head. When you do work like this, you know, I don't always come back to myself, you know, as far as, at a, as in, a creative, in a creative way. But my husband and I design and build furniture, you know, so we're always kind of doing something. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but yeah, it was probably about a couple of weeks ago. I kind of you know messed around with something that personal, something that didn't have to have an end result. That I guess wasn't mm. work, yeah. right? What well, that wasn't work related. Yeah. Is that story going to become a book? Um, yeah, I hope so. One day when I grow up, <laughs> elephants you know, are my favorite. I, so I, I would like. To I get probably that. started it nine years ago, wow. and I have you know probably about six panels done and. It's about this little elephant that, that is diagnosed with cancer. And uh, the premise is some things change and some things stay the same. And the things that change is your, your tummy hurts, your hair sometimes falls out. But the things that don't change is my mommy still loves me and we still read stories at night. So it's kind of that, you know, yeah, things do change, but some things will always, will always be there. And, uh, so hopefully, you know, and I have, you know, I want to publish it and hand it out to people, <laughs> you know, hand it out to the people that I work with and, and the children. And it's geared towards two to four year olds. That's beautiful. I love that. How the can magic. people, what's that? Magic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
How can people best um, connect with you and Cure for the Kids? Yeah, definitely go to cureforthekids.org. You'll find a short video there of the work we've done here um, with Project Imagine and to learn more about all of the other um, absolutely amazing elements of this organization and and why we're here and uh, and how we serve our community. So definitely go to our go to our website and, and there's some great contact. You can also take a, a, a virtual tour through our clinic, um, which is pretty impressive. And uh, just again, the team of people I work with here, I, I'm I'm pretty grateful. So and grateful awesome. to you too as well. Oh well, we're so yeah. grateful you could come on. It's always good to talk with a fellow unicorn. Born. <laughs> I love it. Yes. yes. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you uh, for, for jumping on and talking to us. Thank you. Come back when that book comes out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a good idea. That's yeah. motivation. See if I have a deadline, I'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll book that interview as soon as we're done here. And then yeah, there, the, yeah, that's good. the end. Make sure you go to heartsneedart.org slash podcast to find all the links from today and to connect with Diane and to find out when the book is released. It'll be on there. We'll just come up with a date and then just yeah, there you go. That, I, Richard, that would work. All right, I'll do it. And I won't tell you until this comes out and then I'll just send it to you and be like, oh, by the way. I told everybody. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening and watching. We will see you or you'll hear us next week. Creating everyone. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create art for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartseed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.